Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, everyone. This is And Just Like That, The Writer's Room, the official companion podcast from HBO Max and Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Michael Patrick King, executive producer, writer, and director of And Just Like That. And I'm joined by executive producer and writer, Elisa Zaritsky. Hello, everyone. And executive producer and writer, Julie Rottenberg. Hi, guys. And, of course, joining us today from her closet in beautiful Burbank, <laughs> Rechna Fruchbrom. Hey, Rechna. Hi, guys. How are Hi, you? Morning. Honey. Morning. Or afternoon, if you're listening to this, or late in the yeah. morning. Or when, whatever or time. Good night, night time. <laughs> well, today's episode is episode 108. And if you haven't watched episodes 101, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, please stop listening and right now. And 108, yeah. This is the, the announcement that says, please don't spoil your own experience. Go and watch those other shows and then come back and talk to us about this. Episode 108 is entitled Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. And I have to say, I think that might be the audience's reactions <laughs> after episodes yeah, one through seven. That's, that's a lot so of people happened. are bewitched. They're bothered. in. Yes, they're definitely A lot bothered. of people are bothered from fingering. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. And people are bewildered like, how did we get here? It's very mm-hmm. exciting it's to be point. at this point of the show because you're now seeing a lot of the map of what we took you in the car from episode one. And now we're past the halfway point mm-hmm. for episode 108 and two from the finish. So you really get to see the idea of what we're doing. And this episode was written by Rechna. And I want to say that there is something in this episode that would only exist <laughs> on the planet Earth <laughs> if Rechna Fruchbaum existed on the planet Earth, and that is Carrie's sneaking cigarette smoking <laughs> ritual. Talk about it, Rechna. Okay, so uh, I hope my mom and children aren't listening, but <laughs> I uh, I have a terrible habit. It's not very common. It only happens like when I'm not home, but... Sometimes when I'm stressed, I'll have a cigarette, and it's very similar to Carrie, where it's like I'm always trying not to do it, and and it's it's sort of shameful, but also I love it, and and so I have this getup that's pretty nuts when I do it, which is a rubber kitchen glove. My hair's like in a hoodie, <laughs> and usually sunglasses, and I just I look crazy, and and there's um, <laughs> a picture of me that someone shot on the Fox lot when I was working on the Fox lot. So you would escape the writing room, yeah, where you were a non-smoker, yes, and then just bolt out yeah. into your alter ego, rubber glove hoodie lady, yeah, and it's like both incognito and also to me like smoke doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't make your mm. hands smell, like mm. your fingers aren't gross, your hair isn't gross. Is it's so it's also very practical. And the sunglasses. <laughs> 
And the sunglasses are just incognito. Yeah, to be seen. Correct. Except when you see the picture of it as when you see Carrie in this episode, you're like, there's nothing less incognito (laughs) than this look. It's insane. What's interesting is this is a perfect example of how something very idiosyncratic to one of us becomes a massive storyline. And from the minute we found out that Reshna has a secret life where she smokes a cigarette, we decided that there was no other way. And then instantly what happened? We were shooting, it was right before Halloween when we shot that scene. So, of course, there were people (laughs) on the street and just regular people who Mm -hmm. stop and they're very excited and they take pictures. And next thing we knew, people were dressing up in that very costume for Halloween. Yeah, there was like <laughs> tens and tens of Instagram posts of people with rubber gloves, Amazing. a cigarette, sunglasses, and, and babushkas. Babushka, yeah. And keep in mind, no one knew what, what the hell the context was. They were like, what's, yeah. what's Carrie wearing now? Yeah. And I can wear so, that. Just so this little brown lady from Illyria, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thought they now were Carrie. They were really re- dressed as Retchna for Halloween. Right. <laughs> yeah. Greatest Halloween costume. So. I mean, it was great. And it was because everybody has a rubber glove, mm-hmm. a babushka or two, yeah. and a cigarette. I'm definitely wearing it Some next sunglasses. year for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. We should all. And just like that, a Halloween costume was born. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we became enthralled with this photograph of Rechna. And I think I even <laughs> sent it to SJ, and she screamed. And and then you start building out the story. Now, Rechna's hoodie, which is what we pushed from the writing room, which is an interesting sure. story because Carrie's story really is about her wardrobe. This episode is really about... Her Mm -hmm. unique sense of who she is, her style, her fabulousness. Mm -hmm. And so when we put in hoodie and rubber gloves and sunglasses, what came back to us from Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago and Sarah Jessica was no hoodie, (laughs) babushkas. Yeah. (laughs) And and because they knew the storyline was it couldn't be in her hair— they needed three babushkas. Yeah. <laughs> we did get the purple gloves, and we got the sunglasses. Yeah. But it was three babushkas, some purple gingham thing, white Mary Jane patent leather shoes <laughs> with the buckles undone, by the way, when you're watching sure. this. If you look at it again, buckles undone because Carrie's just going around the block for a cigarette. <laughs> she doesn't have to buckle. She's just in and out. Yeah. Right. Um, but the whole story really is about how Carrie Bradshaw is reevaluating who she was who she is and who she will be through her wardrobe choice. And one of the things that was so fascinating for me, even as a writer on the show, was in the production meetings, hearing about, you know, transporting specific items of Carrie's wardrobe from Paris. Like, Carrie's actual, you know, wardrobe was, like, scattered all over the world in different storage units and had to be shipped from different places. Well, Sarah Jessica was... had archived pretty much everything Carrie wore except for the Versace couture gown, which is sort of the biggest Easter egg of all. Mm-hmm. We used to call it the meal foy because it meal foy is a French pastry. It means a thousand layers. And Barishnikov in Paris, where she wore it, called it a meal foy and went underneath it. Now, I'll just tell you one quick story about the dress, why it's in the show at all. Carrie in the season finale was going to Paris, the two episodes, and one day I was in the office of the writing room on Sex and the City, and I got a call from Pat Fields, um, our designer, and she said, come down here. Something just showed up. Wants to be in the show. And I go into her costume shop, which was huge, and in the middle of the shop was this 
gorgeous couture gown. She says, it's Versace. It's from France. It needs to be in the show. And I said to Pat, how would Carrie ever get it there? She doesn't have luggage. She doesn't own that dress. How is she ever going to get it to Paris? She doesn't have that luggage that big. And I just hit her with reality. And then she said, I'm just saying it's fabulous (laughs) and wants to go to Paris. (laughs) And I said, no, I get it, Pat, but no. And then I walked across the threshold on the way out, and I thought, you know what? (laughs) Maybe clothes are more important than how it got there. And it became (laughs) this— flashpoint for the audience that she was standing alone in this dress. So when it became, what outfit are we going to bring back? It was that decadent Mm -hmm. outfit, and we had to send to Versace where it was. It had also been on tour, this outfit, after the series had been in collections and in museums. It has a bigger life than I have. I remember (laughs) at that production meeting you're thinking of, Lisa, I think Molly said it's in storage in Milan, which is closed. It was the summer. She's like, nobody's there. Everyone's gone. I'm doing my best, Molly. You're doing a good, good. Molly. Um, Yeah, because of the COVID, everything was closed down, and they busted in and got it somehow. Like like something from Raiders of the Lost Ark. They got the Ark of the Covenant (laughs) out of the storage unit in Milan. The Versace had moved it from Paris to Milan, and and it showed up. And then we built an episode around yeah. the extravagance of who that person was. Also, it existing in the same episode as the rubber glove to me. Mm-hmm. It's just like mm-hmm. such a journey. <laughs> so the idea that Carrie is now cataloging her life, and it was important to us as writers, um, it's the visual representation of Carrie taking stock mm-hmm. of where she is, where she was. So the idea of filling the apartment with clothes that she has had, and a lot of them are from the show. I mean, the tutu is hanging there, and we kept burying it because it was too obvious. <laughs> like, when Lily comes over and is helping her yeah. sort through clothes, we were like, she can't touch the tutu. It's tutu <laughs> on the nose. It cannot be in the show. It just needs to be a rack that someone can see. And the one other most notorious costume in the show is the dress that Carrie's holding when she opens the door to Seema. It's called the Heidi dress, and it's the most notorious costume that's ever been in the show. It's from season one. They were having a picnic in Bryant mm-hmm. Park in the rain, and Sarah Jessica showed up mm-hmm. in what looks like a community theater <laughs> Heidi <laughs> costume with a bodice that's tied. And we, everybody went apeshit. It was like, what's that dress? And it was like the threshold mm-hmm. of Carrie can wear anything, but no one was really <laughs> expecting <laughs> Carrie to right. wear anything. It was the declaration of independence. Mm-hmm. Carrie can wear whatever Carrie's in the mood mm-hmm. for. Right. And so that of all the costumes in the entire apartment, everything is there. Sarah Jessica picked the Heidi dress. And when she walks and does that runway thing and she holds it to the camera and she goes, Mm, mm, mm. I think she's <laughs> basically claiming it started with this. Right. Mm, right. Love, love it, that. hate it, scream about it. Bewitched, bothered, <laughs> yeah, and bewildered by the Heidi outfit. I mean, the interesting thing, too, is the clothing is a way of getting Seema and Carrie closer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. that, and that shot when Seema says, what the fuck is that? And she just starts laughing at the thrill <laughs> 
That is that is Sarita, mm-hmm. really. That is Sarita laughing at. Yeah. I'm in a show and I'm looking at the Versace Paris outfit. Yeah. But then the storyline is really who's outside and who's yeah. making and why they yeah. can't smoke on the stoop. I just want to say about the Seema Carey friendship. Like I think it's so real, which is when as you get older, I think friendships get deeper faster. I think especially when you have a life change. Um, anyone you meet in your life who feels like, oh, they fit in like where I'm headed. And this new definition, like, it, those connections happen quicker than they used to in your 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think their friendship's so indicative of what it can look like. And I love it. Yeah. And Not to be like corny. Having, oh, I love it, too. I think that's such a good point. And, and how you have to sort of catch those people up on all of those other years. Yes. You know, and then this, like the yeah, this, exactly. This episode being that, where it's like, literally look at my past. And then look at a new friendship that you think you can't relate to, which is Lisette. Lisette is the jewelry designer who lives downstairs. Now, one of the thrills for me, somebody who has written these characters for many, many years, is Carrie's vestibule, which we had never been in before in all the series and both the movies. The closest we got in the movie was she opens her mail slot and takes out a Valentine card. So here we have her twice. In episode five, she's introducing the apartment to Seema. We see the vestibule. And then in this one, vestibule gets a lot of play. And the apartment underneath is important. The idea of New York of who's downstairs? Mm-hmm. Who are they? And that it would be a 30-something-year-old, what you find out is not a Russian hooker, but a Californian <laughs> jewelry designer who comes and lives underneath her and how really you project on other people your own insecurities, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. We had been deciding, like, Lisette is new. Obviously, this is in her apartment. She's in here. So we decided that she had sublet her apartment. And can yeah. we talk for a minute about Lisette's clothes? Yeah. Oh, my God. Or lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katerina Tannenbaum, who plays Lisette, I've always thought she was spectacular. And then to see her put in the, I would call it the sex in the city world, because mm-hmm. it really was almost what Carrie would be wearing now or not yeah. wearing now. She's like a ghost of Christmas past and mm-hmm. future. Yes. Like yes. And Carrie feels it on some yeah. level. Carrie feels it. And, of course, the biggest contrast of all is when Carrie's dressed with the babushkas, <laughs> the Kate Bush babushkas, <laughs> and she meets Lizette coming down the stairs in what I would think are potholder thigh-high boots. They're made out of potholders, and they have little plastic handles on the side. And I remember when they came to the set, Molly said, no one else in the world has these. And I thought, of course they don't. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. But Lisette is, is vibrant and the idea of how Carrie is projecting that she feels uncool around her and then how Lisette has really no feelings about Carrie that are like, you're not cool. Right. Which brings up my almost favorite scene, which is Carrie at the door when Lisette mm-hmm. comes up to apologize. And Carrie doesn't know she has um, a green mask on her face she forgot. Yeah, when we were initially breaking the episode and for yeah. really pull, we pulled it through 
this whole idea that Carrie feels like a witch. So if you yeah. look closely, there are little witchy touches like the face mask, which is also one of my favorite moments because Sarah Jessica plays it completely oblivious. Like, she seems so lovely. And I remember <laughs> sitting with her in between takes, and we were having a really long conversation about and she's you in know, motherhood. And we were having this long, deep conversation, and she's wearing this mask. And, <laughs> and you just forgot. I mean, I forgot that she <laughs> she seemed to forget. I forgot. Um, well, also, the way in that we started talking about this episode that I— connected to so much was this idea when you become the person who's like shut the fuck up yeah. to your neighbors i'm i need to go to sleep i'm not partying on the stairs anymore and then seeing that in yourself and hating it, being that so person embarrassing cringy yeah. it's i i feel like we were all sharing stories like i was like i remember i was like pregnant with my second kid and there were these girls being loud in their car and i went down and like knocked on the window and i was like hey Smoke pot somewhere else. Like a crazy person. And I feel like when we're talking about, like, how far we can do the witch thing, I feel like there was a conversation where it was like, is the would it be crazy if she's wearing one of those green masks? Because those masks are often green. And then we were like, maybe not. Maybe if we just hint at it and have these pop to it, it's not like, you know. Yeah, and, and the worked. witch is, in, the witch worked, is introduced yeah. because she calls— the other fun thing about this, friends, old friends, new friends who are suddenly yeah. more present mm -hmm. in your life, she calls Jackie. She calls oh, Jackie yeah. at home, and all of a sudden, because she <laughs> makes a late-night call, because he's the type of person who would be up, you fall into this wonderland of his real life, that he has a girlfriend named Smoke. Yeah. He's cool and funny, and he tells her how to get through life, but he introduces it, don't yell out the window, because that happened once in a building we lived in, and and she became the Wicked Witch of the West Side. So that was the introduction, because <laughs> Carrie, of course, doesn't, says, I have no idea, no plans right. of yelling out the window, <laughs> and then yells out the window, and they say the uh. wounding thing of all. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> Everyone remembers their first ma'am. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's very yeah. painful. I, I remember my first ma'am, too. It was very, <laughs> very painful. I think it was in grade school. <laughs> so Carrie hears ma'am for the first time. And so basically, we've taken Carrie and reframed this cool 30-something girl into the one that Julie was most pissed off about becoming ma'am. And it was Julie, actually, who had the experience of, <laughs> oh, yeah. of the neighbors. Okay, yeah. yes. Basically, I was, I live in Brooklyn in a high-rise, and my husband at the time, I mean, he is currently my oh, husband, Jesus. but at Her the first time, <laughs> my one and only husband was away on a work trip. I was home. I had two little kids in cribs, like a toddler and a crib baby. And heinously loud noise was coming from above me, like party. It was all happening upstairs. And I tried to ignore it. And then finally I was like, I can't, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and I went upstairs. Yes, I did leave my sleeping children for a brief moment. <laughs> and I banged on the door and I banged and I banged and it was so loud. No one heard me. And then I noticed the door was open and I opened the door and I went in. I just realized, I hope my neighbors are not listening to this. Uh, Julie, they're okay. not. I never told them. <laughs> the high-rise neighbors have other things <laughs> yeah. to listen to. Um, Get over yourself. Oh, my God. Okay. 5B trashed us. <laughs> not, allegedly, not her real address. And I go in, and I see there is 
the remnants of a party, but the lights are low, and there is nobody there, but the music is bumping, and there's a woman laid out on the couch, much the way Lizette is. Amazing. Much the way. I mean, (laughs) like, it's a coincidence? Yeah. Um, We word for word just put this in the script. (laughs) Much the way. Like, so within the witch analogy, first uh, Jackie says, you'll be the wicked witch if you yell Mm -hmm. out the window. Then she has the green alphabet face on, Mm -hmm. or classic wicked witch Mm -hmm. of the West face. Then at night, with Julie's story, she grabs on a black robe and runs down that stairs. It might yeah. as well be on a broom. Mm-hmm. And then she opens that door, and there's Sleeping Beauty yep. with an empty glass yeah. in her hand wearing—and it really is a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And that's where it crystallizes. I'm in black. She's sparkly and asleep. Mm-hmm. I'm She's the, the witch. She's the princess. She's I'm the, the witch. princess. Yeah. I'm the witch. And then she snoops, which was also exciting Yes, for me. that yeah. was but thrilling. She did what n- none of us would admit to doing, which yeah. is like, I'm going to get some information. And then she finds out her name, and then she Googles and says she's a jewelry designer. But the interesting thing that I love that Carrie does before she leaves, after she turns down the music, is she blows out the candle. Yeah. Because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of sleeping, the interesting thing about that is, you know how kids can sleep through anything? That bumping music, to quote Julie, is happening, and <laughs> Carrie is wide awake, and Lily is sound asleep. Yes. So there's like a sleeping beauty mm-hmm. within a sleeping beauty. Yeah, and moment. Lily's staying over because of Charlotte and her had a fight. Oh, boy. Let's get into that fight. Yeah, well, let's should get we jump into to Charlotte? <laughs> so as you've seen already, um, Lily has walked in on Charlotte giving Harry a blowy in the morning, as you do. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah. Charlotte's giving Harry <laughs> well. a blowjob. And it wasn't enough for us to have that happen like it happens in, say, other TV shows where you never see the dick. And we really wanted the idea of taking Charlotte to the most fun, the most healthy, the most opposite of Stephen Miranda sex life, yes. where it's like she's up for it. Mm-hmm. And it's like morning, and it's spontaneous, Cute. and it comes from the idea of putting on a fitness ring where you put yeah. this ring on. And it completely mirrors when Harry gets down in the Jewish center and proposes to Charlotte, will you take right. this ring? Mm-hmm. Only it's a fitness ring, and she doesn't want him to have a heart attack. And she is about to blow him. Now, that is not Evan's dick. To be clear. To be clear, Stunt that's a prosthetic dick. Right now, Evan's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, guys. I like that you, you couldn't just that, let that it yeah. slide. Well, how do you think it's not meeting. Evan's isn't you bigger? Give it to me. Oh, my God. And, and it was just it like Harry would have, I decided, and people agreed with me, some people, he would have a, a, a substantial penis. Because one of the things that Charlotte says about Harry in Sex in the City is a great sex life, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that she's repulsed by it, but she wants him. And not that your sex life is dependent on your penis size, but when you're going to show Harry's penis, let's let's make it be something that's a nice size. Why not? Really yeah. fun with you it. You want but a representative of a good sex life. Like, but listen, yes. now speaking of having a good sex Visual. life, Kristen Davis <laughs> is the joy that day she was a D. Light. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember they were offering her knee pads to wear under her little workout outfit. And she was like, I don't think I, no, I don't think I need them. <laughs> I don't think I'll be there that she long. game. 12 <laughs> hours later, she's still unzipping a fake penis, oh which God. we had to oh 
fine and secure. And the entire crew was there, and it's this borderline tension carnival because it's like so tense because you're being respectful. <laughs> and then when we got that one shot, where, where Lily comes in and Charlotte turns and she drops a penis and it's just that one shot from Lily's point of view. As soon as a new oh Valia, who is the director, said cut, everybody screamed and applauded. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was a happy, happy moment on it the set. It gives the acronym PC a whole new meaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea that that really the bigger story, and I think it's important, and it was very important for people that had kids, not me, this whole idea of the kids insta, finsta, mm-hmm. fake, fake yeah. count. What when do kids start to have their own personality and their own secrets, especially girls? Mm-hmm. And also, how do you address with your kid when they've walked in on something and the different advice? we've gotten over the years mm-hmm. about do you address it head on? <laughs> um, sorry. Or do you pretend it didn't happen? Mm-hmm. Do right. you just, how can you pass down to your kids a healthy, comfortable relationship yeah, to I, sex? Yeah, and we talked about how Charlotte, in particular, we've built her as this mother who's done all the reading and, and you know, listened to all the podcast about it and she's just very knowledgeable and then how that all goes out the window when you're in the moment. Yeah. And your <laughs> yes. your own prudishness or whatever your yeah. hang-ups are about sex suddenly are up against what you know is the right thing to do yeah. with your kids. and Yeah. And how to be authentic versus like say the words you're supposed to say because mm-hmm. your kids can see right through that bullshit anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and so. I love Unless hearing- it's so profoundly bullshit <laughs> right. that it stops them like you hit a shark on the nose. And when she says to Lily, <laughs> I was checking your daddy's penis for cancer. Okay. That is such an outrageous uh, out of nowhere yeah. statement. That, that, that she ass. just goes, oh, okay. yeah. right. <laughs> I loved hearing Charlotte say in that scene with Miranda and Carrie, I was raised in a house mm-hmm. where we didn't talk about sex. Yeah. I love picturing little Charlotte yeah. <laughs> with her family right. and that she's self-aware enough now. I know. To- and that she threw her parenting plan out the window in yeah. one violent mm-hmm. swoop. But the other great thing about that, I mean, the, the blowjob lobster fish scene is Sarah Jessica back up <laughs> yeah. back the truck oh up. my god uh, you cannot see back up back the truck well, up like that yeah. is just pure Sarah Jessica funny bone and no one expected it coming out like that and they just can't the be top. with their friend in that moment they're just like nope Right, Sorry. Yeah. and they yeah. become like children yeah, yeah. <laughs> the giggling. two of them yeah back up I don't even know where it came from, but it is. And she did it a million different ways, but nothing equals back up, back the truck up. I can't even do it, but if that's not a meme, everybody's wrong. So funny. Uh, I, I love it. And then I love that Charlotte confesses at the end to Lily. When I was your age, we didn't feel so comfortable about our bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's the evolution. Yeah, I related especially to the feeling of, like, protectiveness over— I don't know. I I feel like as a mom of a teen, actually, now, they're just everything. The styles are so different. They're wearing, you know, midriff-bearing clothes to school, and it it feels— 
I don't know. You, but I don't think it's just your prudishness. I also think it's like it's your kids growing up and like you are sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have my kids going to be 13 in two weeks mm-hmm. and I'm like, he's a pretty innocent almost mm-hmm. 13, but it's still like he's getting older and I, you know what that means too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's not yeah, just your prudishness. It's also like, what I'm does saying it mean? goodbye to my kid. It, it means, it means like my kids growing up and mm-hmm. they're going to need me less. And what is my role How's my role changing? And it's not like all happening, you know, it's all subconscious, but it's like all there. And and you mm-hmm. used to carry them and now they could almost carry you, you yeah. know? And, and they're moving a- away from you. Yeah, you have to let it yeah. go a little. And-, and we've always tried to make sure that the characters had opposites within them. And, you know, one of the things that the takeaway that people always say is Charlotte's the preppy, the uptight one, the whitey white one, the proper one. And back in the day in the series, we actually made sure there was one scene in the coffee shop where I think it was Tukas Lingus. Oh, yeah. Where she says, well, Trey likes it. And they go, what? Yeah. And he goes, she goes, we're married. We're married. <laughs> uh, the idea of Charlotte being actually the most comfortable in bed is always an interesting opposite. I agree. And the more we play with the opposites of, in this episode in particular, Charlotte, who is so comfortable with Harry, but then uptight with Lily, Carrie, who is so comfortable with her style and who she is, but in front of Lisette, mm. becomes fragile and judgy of herself. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh. Miranda, who always acts with her brain, being led by her id. desire, her id, yeah. mm-hmm. which is interesting. And the Miranda Chase story, oddly, and uniquely, we started the episode with Miranda and Che, which was kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. It, it's a mm-hmm. departure from what we normally yeah. do. Yeah, we would always lead first with mm-hmm. Carrie and then follow with the others. But the Che-Miranda storyline, I feel, it, that's so important in this episode is informing Che what's been going on. Mm-hmm. You know how you think something's going on in your mind? You think Lily is innocent, but then you find out she has a finsta? Che thinks for the last couple of weeks that they're in a relationship that's out and cool and open marriage with Miranda. And in the very first scene, they find out that they're in a illicit Secret affair, yeah. affair mm-hmm. which Che has no interest in. It's not right. Che's DNA. And the way we started it was by having the comedy of Che talking <laughs> about hiding is not where anybody should be, reveal your true self. And then Miranda sees her kid, <laughs> her kid and Louisa, the politically correct mm-hmm. 19-year-olds. Allies. Allies. <laughs> and she... Miranda reverts to a Looney Tunes character, which Che calls her, and and hides. And Che is stunned that they've been living a lie. Mm-hmm. And it's harsh in a I great way. I was thrilled. I was so happy first just in the script stage, but then when we were shooting it, I was really excited to see Che get mad. And mm-hmm. because they're right. Yeah. And Miranda, who's always been the avenging righteous. angel, yeah. the righteous, yeah. is hiding. Yeah. Because 
Miranda knows what will happen, I guess. If she says anything, she will have to deal with the aftermath. Yeah, which she'll is, have to choose and decide. Yes. At the end of this episode, when we were filming the scene between Miranda uh. and Steve, somebody on the crew made buttons one had Steve's face on. Team and Steve. Oh Team Steve and Steve Miranda. Miranda. Yeah. And let me just say, there were a lot more Team yeah. Stevers out there. I mean, and and they everyone was allowed to pick. Everyone on the crew picked a button and yeah. put it on their little. And, and by the way, thing. of course, David Eigenberg, who plays Steve, picked a Team Miranda. Yeah, and oh. all the women <laughs> on the crew. Would. All the women on the crew picked Steve, and they all went up and said, "I'm available." <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that heartbreaking yeah. scene, one of the things going into this episode, we knew that Che was going to be caught in the crosshairs because everybody loves Steve so much that now Che was going to be cast as the homewrecker. And it was important for us to make sure that Che followed their integrity as not lying, not cheating, which Che talks to Miranda about in the hospital, that they just let it all out, they tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So the idea that Che is now caught in a lie of somebody else's making was important that we have them call that out to Miranda for the audience so that the audience can see. Now, you can't get more traditional than that in yeah. terms mm. of a, a, a noble right. attribute. Right and wrong. I mean, homewrecker in and of itself is like so old-fashioned, right? The mm -hmm. idea that right. there's a man who cheated, but it's the woman who's the homewrecker. Right, right, right. off the bat is like mm -hmm. fascinating. And I thought the way Cynthia played that scene was so telling because she was holding on to this, ah, but I... It's complicated. I, this illusion. Yeah, and, right. and I am not giving in. I'm not going to actually address the fact that you're pissed and you have a right to be yeah. pissed. And I, it was like she was And I'm avoiding water. the conversation I need to be having at home. Yes. Well, I just wanted to say in the defense of Miranda and like everyone picking Team Steve, there is something we said like who among us, like people love to be righteous and yet... There's very it's few true. people have been married so long who haven't e had those fantasies. Ma yes, have they not acted on them? Sure. But, like, it's a funny thing that people love to be righteous unless they really were honest with themselves. That's And I true. think Miranda being at, in there and being in that cloud, like, if you're being honest with yourself, you get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's the first time in the show that Miranda is, in the in the entire series, that Miranda is being led by a romantic impulse mm -hmm. versus yeah. a mental construct. And here it comes crashing down where the romance goes, meets really hard yeah. with the son being there and hiding. And then Che basically says, that's it. Unless you get your shit yeah, together, Miranda's mm -hmm. thrown. Whereas Miranda is yeah. now, Miranda's now out of control. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure out of control. For yeah. the first time, she really is lost. And when she goes to the ladies to tell them that she's going to do something mm -hmm. about it at the back up, back the truck up lunch, <laughs> and she tells them, I'm telling Steve tonight. Now, we already felt like we had, as writers, already blown our wad with Charlotte 
mm-hmm. in episode six right. when she says everything she felt. Yes. You're married. You're you married. You just to dyed your hair. hair. You're married. Right. You're married to a man. Life crisis. So, right, right. so in the evolution of people learning in this show, Charlotte's learned twice in the series. The first time is when she tells Carrie she's not a mess back in episode mm-hmm. three. three. And Carrie mm-hmm. says, you have to let me say I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. And then the next time in episode six, in the storage unit, when Carrie is feeling really bad, Charlotte lets her feel bad. Yeah. And then this is the next Charlotte learning curve. After she puts it all out there in episode six to Miranda, my feelings, my judgments, you're not progressive. Why what does can't, this mean for you? Are you mm-hmm. gay? What's yeah, the deal? You can't yeah. mean, you can't, just do this. And she feels Miranda's truth and confusion. So this time when Miranda lays, I'm going to tell Steve, she's expecting Charlotte to judge, come at her again. Mm -hmm. And Charlotte literally says, I can't even figure out my own life right now. Oh, no. Yeah. And that's the growth growth and the uncomfortableness of not having the rules, not Mm -hmm. knowing what to say anymore. And I sort of like that Miranda, who you sense in that moment, in that scene, is ready, like, here we go again. I'm, they're going to come Round at me. Two. Yeah. And when they don't, and specifically Charlotte doesn't, in a way it leaves her more alone with her own doubts. And that yeah. helps that next scene with Carrie, where she's talking about, maybe you want to bring him a brownie. Um, yeah. And you see the doubt creep in. But the interesting thing before the brownie scene is Miranda says, it's not fair Mm-hmm. To Che or to Steve, and Carrie says, or to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's she's a put really, her third. Yes, it's like these little moments where you remember Miranda's not just like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And so, within all the the complications and the tangles of what society thinks is right, or what married people watching this show think is right, mm-hmm. or what Steve fans think is right, Carrie says, or you. Yeah, that's the headline. What about you? And then that scene, we can talk about that scene, that painful scene between Miranda and Steve on that couch uh, where they both say everything. By and, the way, the table read, not a dry eye. And people that have been in relationships that have stopped moving forward, one of the hopes is that both people arrive at the same moment at the yeah. same mm-hmm. time so that not one of them is the bad sure. guy. Yeah. And we Sure, she says I like know, that's all. Sure, hopes. in quotes. I mean, I think it's a lovely thing when that happens. I don't I don't know how common it is that to consciously at uncouple same, at the exactly <laughs> at the same I don't think way. it's very common. I yeah. think there's always one person who probably leads the way, but it doesn't mean Miranda's wrong. Right, Ooh, and yeah. she's leading, she and she's first, now. And I think that was so important to mm-hmm. me for her to have said. And also the logic of Miranda yeah. saying, these are the facts. We don't have this. We don't have this. Mm-hmm. We don't have this. We're both in the same place. That's the lawyer. Yeah. And then when she's sitting across from David Eigenberg mm. and Cynthia uh. Nixon after— How many years? Now, let's just talk a little bit about why Steve was brought in. Steve was brought into Sex and the City because Miranda was so brittle. She was about to break as a character. Mm -hmm. She was like strings of glass that were just going to— we'd taken her as far as we could. We didn't know how to soften her. Like, he's the furnace that would melt the glass. You know, he's the warmth, and he's the so casually 
confident liking himself Mm -hmm. that he allows her to act out on him, which is what's so interesting about the last scene between the two of them Mm -hmm. because it's first addressed like, well, do you have your hearing aids in? Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to have to say this twice. twice. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to shout this. Right. And he's like, just talking to one ear. I mean, the infallibleness, the joyousness of mm-hmm. that character. Mm-hmm. And then it gets yeah. into her, Miranda, saying, I'm not happy. And he sums up their entire relationship. You always think I'm enough. You never think I'm enough. And then maybe mm-hmm. I'm enough. And then I'm not enough again. And it's like he is making sense. Mm-hmm. And she is allowing him to have his feelings and wanting him to be whatever he needs to be at this moment. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say, at least I felt she's making sense too, which I loved so much in the scene. And I personally was wearing a Team Miranda button. (laughs) I chose a Team Miranda button because I have several friends who chose to divorce their very— Wonderful. Perfectly nice husbands um, for their own reasons and are happier. And so I I want them both to be yeah. as happy as they deserve to be. I think that's the key is like it doesn't really ha- – the binary of Team Miranda or Team Steve doesn't have to be. That there can be this new chapter and they can still raise Brady together and that like there might be – and I know Steve – isn't an acceptance of it yet necessarily, but there might be future happiness for both of us, Mm -hmm. for both of them that's greater than the one that they've been having together. And I just think, like, that's the coolest part about it, the potential of it. But the reality is that Miranda's happiness is really on the table, not Steve's. Steve says that's marriage, and I'm good with that. But, but does that I, mean he's happy? Like, does I, that mean, like, five years from now he might not meet someone? Does that mean that he's not happy? But also, but but Michael, I would Are you argue, judging him as not being happy? Well, I don't know. Be, I mean, he, here's what I say. Should. You already that. said should, so it doesn't exist. Well, I would just say that with the new information that his wife isn't happy, Correct. I don't think he is capable of— Staying quote unquote happy, right? And well, if he, he says, is, then that's on him. Like, mm-hmm. there's something to be said for your partner, your life partner, your the mother of your children saying, "I'm so unhappy," and being like, "Well, I'm not, so we're good." Is its own thing. And also, I've noticed that there's a little bit of a kickback about, well, he had an affair on her, right? And she forgave him, as if it works that way. And also, that's why it was so important to us. To not lead with, I met someone. Mm -hmm. We all felt strongly that Che is more a symptom than a cause cause. of this breakup. We really wanted Miranda to lead with, I'm I'm not not happy. happy. Mm -hmm. Work through all that. And then it was sort of a surprise to her and to us that that very last line is, I met someone. Mm -hmm. Because he says, I don't know what you think. That was in the writing room. I remember discussing a lot. Like, what's the thing that he can say that would bring that out? And I don't know what you think is out there. there. Yeah. Like his pessimistic idea of we're old 
And I love when she says, we're 55, Steve. That's not old. And yet all anybody's talking about is the fact that these characters are so old. Like they don't deserve to have fullness. There's no sex anymore. They're old now. There's more, 30 more years of sitting on the couch watching, sitting on this fucking couch, she says. And it feels so amazing. Uh, Well, and I loved because... Steve as a character, I think it's safe to say, and David embodies this, has trouble with anger. And he played a lot of that scene as hurt. And then to me, when he says, but I don't know what else you think is out there, like, that's a dig. Like, Yeah, that's um, Steve's anger. Right. And that's how I think we earn her saying, I met someone. But it's all played... I feel like if you listened to this before you saw the episode, you would think it was all played very, in a very nuanced, incremental way. Two people who know each other really well and are trying to get through this really hard moment. Um, And writers who know the actors well and know Mm -hmm. the history of those characters, giving them this thing that they literally sit they do not move, mm-hmm. yeah. and they just talk at each other, mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there will be a reaction to the next scene, <laughs> which is Miranda's euphoria. And yeah. I'm just going to say for myself, the euphoria, when you tell the truth mm-hmm. about something you've been hiding with me, it's, you know, being gay, and the euphoria that comes is totally authentic. Because you feel like you've done the hardest thing you'll ever do, which is tell the truth and liberated your soul Mm -hmm. or your spirit. So the idea that people are going to be like, she just threw him away and now she's in, I'm in a rom-com. Well, guess what? Maybe some of life can be a Mm rom-com. And when you're feeling something big like that, why not express it? Oh, we're also comfortable saying we're depressed. I know. But we're not so comfortable saying I've never been happier or I'm feeling happy. So for Miranda to have, it's almost mythic. It's almost like a Greek myth. For her to have gone into the the underground mm-hmm. and told her truth and then shooting out to go to a comedy concert in Cleveland, <laughs> you know, yeah. like with integrity. Mm-hmm. That's what it she's had feeling. To be yes. I'm clean. Yeah. I told the truth. This is clean. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the audience is probably thinking, like, that cab's heading straight for a brick wall. <laughs> mm-hmm. What sure. do you mean you threw Steve away yeah. and are now surprising someone in Cleveland? Uh, uh, I mean, is... yeah. It, But I think the distinction that her euphoria comes more from having told the truth. Yes. Than, than where she's headed. Yes. Because, I mean, she's literally headed to Cleveland, so truly. <laughs> well, you know, that's us. She's not going By to the Paris. Way, that's my Miranda. hometown, so I'm allowed to make fun of it. <laughs> yeah. Carrie yeah, goes to Paris. Miranda goes to Cleveland. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the life of a stand-up. They're that's performing right. in an arena in Cleveland. But it, it all really is about who you are now versus who you were. And so the show ends with Carrie talking to Miranda on the phone about, okay, have a nice trip, whoever Whoever you are. (laughs) Like that at a certain age, at 55, as she said, you can be somebody new. Or as Carrie's feeling, at 55, you can be somebody old. And then she walks down the steps and sees 
a fight between Lisette and the guy. But Carrie's trapped seeing the underneath of what she's been projecting mm-hmm. as this, mm-hmm. this beautiful, perfect 30-year-old. Yeah. And then Lisette turns and sees Carrie seeing her and is humiliated, the reverse mirror. Mm-hmm. Right. And then she tries to sneak away, but the door opens and Lisette and her have this important back and forth. Yeah. And this idea of Carrie seeing this neighbor who represents who she used to be and in hindsight, the gloss that you can put over a time in your life. And then we wanted to shatter that with how fucking sucky dating can be and how hard your 30s can be. And that she had sort of Mm -hmm. forgotten that until she sees it relived. And Carrie makes a joke. (laughs) What are you going to do? That's New York dating. Mm -hmm. And that that liberates the spirit of Lisette. Mm -hmm. And she says, you're cool. And it's something Carrie isn't asking, but it is the ultimate in Carrie being that cool upstairs neighbor who's already been through it all. And then she closes the door and Carrie just feels it. Mm -hmm. And then the the last vignette is Carrie wearing the Milfoy dress, Mm. sitting on her writing desk, eating Jiffy Pop alone. And the voiceover is uh, just like that. I realize there are some things that should never be put in storage. We we had Ugh. we struggled with that last I, I voiceover. I was going to say mm-hmm. that was in my mind that was the hardest last and voiceover like of the season yeah. because yeah. we really were like, well, we don't want it to be about being a witch and like it was just like a long journey trying to figure mm-hmm. it out because then it related both to the story and to this like big sub story of mm-hmm. the fashion and the clothes mm-hmm. and the thing and this was the big one this is the big episode about it the bold thing about the episode is Carrie taking the moment to evaluate her as she says 20s 30s 40s 50s on that rack alone i mean mm-hmm. she's evaluating her whole yeah. life as clothes and that what she chooses to button the whole episode with is the most extravagant moment is still alive inside her apartment and that's yes. the joy of the episode And just like that, we've reached the end of another podcast episode. Thanks, Rechna, Elisa, and Julie for today's fun conversation. We'll be back next week to unpack episode nine. Talk to you then. This is the official companion podcast for the HBO Max show, And Just Like That. And it's a production of HBO Max and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Barry Finkel, Gabrielle Lewis, Max Zielinski, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our senior producer on the show is Emmanuel Hapsis. Jonathan Shiflett is our producer, and Janelle Anderson is our associate producer. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Josh Gwynn is our story editor, and our engineers are Davey Sumner and Elliot Adler. Production music is courtesy of HBO Max. You can listen to the next episode of And Just Like That, the Writer's Room podcast, after watching episode nine of And Just Like That on HBO Max. And don't forget to subscribe for new conversations every week, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.